0: You wanted more live Nerdist Writers Panels. You've got more live Nerdist Writers Panels. We've got a bunch coming up in September and October and in August. Uh, Here they are, Los Angeles, August 23rd at Meltdown. With Mark Guggenheim, the co-creator of Arrow and the upcoming Legends of Tomorrow, as well as a comic book writer, and he's done a ton of cool stuff. Corinne Marshall, the creator of Casey Undercover and a great sitcom writer. Evan Blyweis, who has written on... He started out on The Shield, um, uh, and he's done a bunch of other cool shows. Laura Valdivia, who currently wrote on Weird Loners, and she wrote on Ben and Kate, and uh, is very funny. Of course it benefits A26 la That's August 23rd Also in Los Angeles September 13th at Meltdown Our old pal Damon Lindelof Is back, the co-creator of Lost And the showrunner of The Leftovers We'll talk about that show And anything you want to talk about We've also got Andrew Kreisberg The co-creator of Supergirl, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow um, Great guy uh, Noelle Valdivia uh, The sister of Laura who writes dramas. She's currently on Manhattan and wrote for Masters of Sex. And finally, Kit Boss, who's written for Bob's Burgers. Uh, He's on iZombie now. Really good guy. That's September 13th at Meltdown. August 31st, let's back it up. August 31st at Brookline Booksmith, I'm talking with Joe Hill, author, short story writer, comic book writer, raconteur, hilarious dude, scary dude, maybe, Let's find out. Benefits 826 Boston. That's on August 31st, my old hometown. And then finally, this big one, September 21st at Largo at the Coronet. uh, We're doing an evening of the Masters of the Family sitcom. We've got Norman Lear, the creator of All in the Family, the Jeffersons, a million shows. Phil Rosenthal, the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond. And Steve Levitan, the co-creator of Modern Family. It should be a terrific conversation with these three guys. All three are funny, charming, have lots to say, have been in the business for years. Uh, You don't want to miss that. That's September 21st at Largo. But Ben, where do I get tickets for these things? And how do I support A26LA and A26Boston? I'll tell you. Go to writerspanel.tumblr.com. I started a Tumblr so you can find out about all of this stuff writerspanel.tumblr.com Follow it and you'll find out about this and we're adding, there are going to be two more live panels uh, in, that will come up for sale in the next couple weeks. So, come check it out. Please come to these panels. Uh, I always enjoy doing them. I enjoy meeting all of you who listen to the show and uh, we want you there to ask questions. That's what I miss having done all of these studio panels is you guys asking great questions of uh, the creators. So, come on out. Writers panel. Tumblr.com or, And follow me on Twitter At Ben Blacker uh, for details there Hope to see you soon
1: Now entering Nerdist.com
0: Today's episode was recorded at the ATX Television Festival In Austin uh, Season 4, which was this year First weekend in June 2015 We had so much fun at ATX this year It was bigger and better than it ever was I don't know why you're not coming next year Go to atxfestival.com and get your badge for next year. Don't wait to find out who's going to be there, because if you wait to find out who's going to be there, you're going to miss an opportunity to get your badge. Go to atxfestival.com.
1: So excited to be here and see all of you. We are here once again for ATx and this morning oh i 'm Jared by the way from BuzzFeed um, this morning 's panel is part of our cancelled too soon series and if we 're being honest, there is no more appropriate show to get that distinction' we, that's right we had eighteen episodes, just eighteen episodes, but they were heavenly or more accurately paradise. We were given Boo and Hubble, waiting for Godot, accidental masings, cocktail napkins with the Dalai Lama's face on them, frisky raccoons, hat box financial planning, the knowledge that nothing is worse than a pantsuit. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Oh, Captain, my captain, stunning dance routines, a beautifully nuanced depiction of female friendship over those 18 episodes, a hilarious turn from Stacey Orestano, another iconic character from Kelly Bishop, a dazzling performance from Sutton Foster, and of course... The sublime, rapid-fire, endlessly quotable words of Amy Sherman-Palladino. In short, we got bunheads. So, to talk all about this amazing, iconic, beloved show, please help me welcome the cast and crew to the stage. First, we have our truly Stacey Oristano. There she is. Then, Miss Fanny, if you're nasty, Kelly Bishop. And now, maybe she's a pole dancer, she might be a stripper, she's from Nevada, she's from Reno, no one knows, it's Michelle Sutton Foster. (laughs) And last, but by no means least, Amy Sherman Palladino. everyone. I feel like we're having a... Am I supposed to use this mic that's down here? <laughs> oh, I am. Okay. I'm going to give you this. There'll be some sharing of microphones, everybody. It's a group effort. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. can be parched. Um, thank you guys so much for being here. You know, we watched the opening montage, the opening clip, which was actually the finale clip, which yeah, was... A beautiful place to start. Um, Amy, let's just go back to the very beginning. What was the origin for this show for you?
2: This show was um, uh, uh, one of the least planned things in my life. And I I was basically just going to do a pilot for ABC Family. And I wasn't supposed to stay with it. And uh, they said, yeah, well, we don't actually have anything for you to shoot. But if you wrote something, it's one of those things. It's like, all right, great. So I wrote this, and I was mid-writing it, and I went to New York to watch Anything Goes because I had to see all the Tony things so I can be angry and upset that people who I wanted to win didn't <laughs> win, and, you know, justifiably, no, oh, this sucks, and who did they blow? And so... And I went to see uh, Anything Goes, and I, I'd never met um, uh, Dame Foster, and... Um, Yes, I can say she's a fucking dame. Come and get me. Um, and um, literally at intermission, I called the ABC family people who were playing jacks or something. I don't know. It's, it's, like not, it's, not, it's not like a real network. It's kind of like It's kind of like a... You know, there used to be web It's sort of just a blet. Um, but there were lovely ladies, and I said, put the jacks down. Put the, put, put the ball down. Put the ball down. I'm waiting. I said, listen, I just saw the show, and I saw this... This woman named Sutton Foster, and I don't know if you guys, you know, the next time you're, you're in New York, if you have a chance, you know, when you're not, like, in the m M&M and store, could you possibly <laughs> go and see Anything Goes? Because I am literally basing this on nothing because I've never met her, but there's something about her that I sort of feel like, you know, when you get the script, you're going to read this character, and I kind of feel like it's her. So... Um, to which they said uh okay we'll just hire her because we want to go uh, see a movie at one o'clock and i'm like <laughs> i'm like i'm like i'm like, like no, no 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 i you, you you people are in charge god help us so i need you to love love her and and know her and need her so so we we shipped her out and uh and it was sort of like an instantaneous like and they were kind of like sitting there and like you know we, so I and I worked, and we did all of our acting stuff all morning. And like, ah, see so what we get. No, wait, hold, let the, that moment. And we did like tw- 12 hours of that. And then and then she read for them, and they're like, yeah, I, we, we told you like a month ago to hire her. So I'm not sure what, <laughs> like, why, why are we here? Because like, um, we hear they're giving candy away down the street. <laughs> so anyhow, so we went into them, we did this pilot. And, um, and I had tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried, and tried to get, uh, uh, Countess Kelly Um, You heard me Um, And Kelly lives in Jersey And apparently once you go to Jersey You kind of don't leave And I haven't been there Because I'm afraid I will not get out again So um, And and we were trying and trying and trying And then Kelly was weirdly at that time In Anything Goes To which Anything Goes says "Oh, Oh I'm sorry you want to take Someone else out of our show? (laughs) Let let me think how this is going to go. Do do you in Hollywood know the terms bite my ass? And, like, they literally would not let me have Kelly. I was heartbroken, angry. I'll get you, Broadway. (laughs) Moose Murders is coming back. Um, So uh, so we shot the pilot. Mm -hmm. And it was such an, like, other than the fact Kelly wasn't there, (laughs) which was a big issue, um... It was like a really interesting um, experience to work with Sutton because she is um, what we say in the biz, uh, the best. <laughs> and that's a biz term. So... Technical. Don't yeah. tell the outsiders. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and, and basically at the end of the pilot, it was sort of like I was supposed to leave. And I'm like, well, you can't, <laughs> I did what? I just, I'm working with Sutton Foster. You can't leave. So it it was sort of like one of those, like I intend to sort of like, like I hear other people do, like they just take this and then they go. And it's like, and I'm staying. And then uh, we shipped her out from Jersey. So, um, because that was not gonna not happen. So, and that was basically it was just one of those sort of kismet kind of like, here you're gonna go and do something that you hadn't anticipated. I have
1: to say, the relationship between Michelle and Fanny is one of the most. Interesting, complicated, nuanced, layered, dynamic things I've seen on television in a very, very long time. And to that point, let's watch a clip. (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, Sutton, I'm going to start with you. There are a billion reasons that immediately come to mind as why one would want to play this part. For you, what was the attraction to Michelle and the show?
3: That it was written by Amy. Um, I wasn't necessarily looking to do television. I I was primarily doing theater in New York. But um, Gilmore Girls is like my favorite show of all time. And I was... (laughs) I, and, then when, and when Kelly actually came into the cast of Anything Goes, I was, like, freaking out. And um, I was, like, oh, my God, are you serious? And then I, like, followed you around, and then I attacked you. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, and then so when my agent called and was, like, Amy sherman paladino wants to have a, a lunch, wants to meet you, wants to have a lunch with you, I was, like, oh, what? And so I was just super excited. I had no idea there was a project attached to it. And so we just met. And had like in between shows or something. Yeah, I just
2: wanted to make sure she wasn't crazy. Either. Yeah, <laughs> but we met and I Don't was like, no.
3: <laughs> and I was just like a fan. Like a, I'm such a fan. And um and then they sent the script. Like then two weeks later, my agent's like, there's a script they want you to read for this pilot, and I was like, what? And uh and it was about dance and about teaching and about like all of these things that I that I felt so passionately about. It just was a no brainer. Um, and I'd never worked, I never wanted something so bad, and, um, and worked really, really hard to, and it was, you know, praying that it, that it worked out. And it was still, you know, one of the greatest experiences of my life.
1: Had you gotten to a place where the sight of Kelly Bishop no longer reduced you to, uh, like, a crazy girl that time you <laughs> joined the show? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, Now <laughs> now yeah, that, that so great, because I call them my like, friends, you
3: know, so I never a million really years thought that I'd be, you know, hanging out with these guys, so... Yeah.
1: Uh, Kelly, for you, what was it about the show and the opportunity that got you out of New Jersey?
4: That, yes, that's, that's a problem. Jersey is a problem. It's quite mire. It's, we have a great governor, though. Oh,
5: awesome.
4: Um, uh, what it basically was and always will be for as long as this old body carries me around, if Amy Sherman Palladino has a project for me, I'm there. I'm in it. Hands down, the best writing I've ever had the pleasure of speaking. And then it was, um, what added to it is it was my life. I grew up as a little ballet dancer. Um, I, you know, started when I was, well, it's all in a chorus line, isn't it, with Sheila. And Sheila said, you know... Uh, you know, but then my mo- my mother said, but you can't do it until you're eight. And I said, I was only six. And I said, I've got to dance, you know, and so <laughs> that's, and that was actually out of my mouth in, in the tape session. So ballet was my whole life. Um, I had one ballet job and then I loved jazz and, uh, started doing nightclubs and I, I loved, I loved all that, but it was, it was being able to do the whole, the full circle to go from growing up like that and remembering the influence of wonderful teachers, one in particular um, who formed me who taught me, who gave me really great technique. So I could go around and now I'm the teacher and I I have to add one like doo-doo-doo-doo moment I was, I went to um, a medium with my best girlfriend and we were conjuring up um, our dead friends and family (laughs) Um, (laughs) laughter It was Thursday. and, and I, It was Thursday, yeah. <laughs> well, we did... Yeah, every Thursday. Anyway... Um, so, I'm, I'm wondering about my mother, who I mean, I absolutely adored. I was one of those wonderful, you know, situations where my mother was a fabulous woman and she really nurtured me and wanted me to be a, a dancer. And, uh, and so, I kept going, where's mom? Where's mom? And so, the, the medium said, there's a, there's a small woman standing right by me and she has her hand on my shoulder. My mom was a little, tiny woman. And she said, she's showing me red shoes. And you remember, like, from, again, that's in the chorus line, and all ballet dancers saw the red shoes. I mean, it's like the movie. It's still the best ballet movie ever made. And so I, I said to this medium, I said, were they, were they point shoes? Were they ballet shoes? And she said, no, it's just a pair of red shoes with a heel. And I said, huh, okay all this time goes on. I mean like what a year, over a year later I finally get into this show. I mean it was breaking my heart when I couldn't do the pilot either. I was so upset not to be able to come out and do the pilot. And then Miss Amy, as she always does, she makes things happen. Um, I was suddenly there and they reshot those sections of the pilot and I go for a wardrobe fitting and um, they say, oh and there's these red shoes. She wears red shoes and I went cool (laughs) isn't that amazing I mean I was just uh, but yeah it was my it was my life it was my story I know everything I know (laughs) she's so connected you know I mean with everybody she's so connected I love
1: that the the spirit of dance
4: was obviously something that was a huge foundation for the
1: show. But unlike other shows that live in this world, we saw it on screen every single week in elaborate sequences that you... I mean, there's like three-minute ballets. There are five-minute ballets. It's incredible. And I think it's one of the things that made the show so special and so unique. And we now have a... Well, yes.
2: Just, this is for Ben, right? Uh, for ben? Yes. Yeah, it, and, and this one was our very first... Uh, uh, dance that we did because the pilot had um, Michelle dancing and then a little thing with her and the girls but you know, we were always struggling with how do we fit dance into our show organically so it wasn't like you're breaking the fourth wall and going, let's put on a show, you know, which is, was right. never our intention because our, our whole thing was about the world of dance and what it does to girls and and relationships and it's a very intense world and our first opportunity was when Hubble died the one thing that Michelle could do for Fanny, and the only thing she could do for Fanny, was this.
1: Fair warning: I cried every single time I watched this. So
2: it's going to happen. We can do it together. That's what it's about. And that um, uh, we—I broke it up with a moment between the two of them. But that was one shot. Wow! The whole dance was one shot. Oh my God. And it was one of those things where, like, we had shot angles and angles and angles and angles. And then my Steadicam guy goes, let me just take a shot at, you know, just doing it all in one. And we're like, sure, what the hell? And then he, the first time, that's what we got. And I'm like, well, we just wasted 16 hours. (laughs) But, you know, that,
1: to me, is a great example, I think, of something you do very well and was very representative in this show and another show you've worked on, in that you are incredible at building communities. you build with through characters. I think the way you establish worlds and people in those worlds and their relationships and dynamics with one another is really not something you see very much in television. I mean, for you, what is it about the idea of a town and that town interacting that continues to be so appealing?
2: Well, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, and if you've ever been there, it's very brown, and everything's very square, and it's it's kind of like hell, but without without the snazziness of fire, like it's just kind of the worst place ever I mean I'm sure that there's other places, obviously that are worse, but I just haven't been there um, and you know, I was an only child of two um lovely uh loony people, and it was a very, like, you know, it was the three of us, you know, and so there was no, like, you didn't know your neighbor, and it was you didn't know the person next door, and you get in a car, and you drive to the next brown part of the city, and so there was no sense of, you know, community, or um, I didn't have a lot of family out there. I heard there were people in New York that were Jewish and kind of around. They were all named Louis, but I didn't know them. So they were <laughs> all like, you know, like, I, I don't know if, if this is directly, but for me, like, I've always found that, like, the thematic ideas of, you know, you build your family um, has has been... Not even consciously prevalent in Gilmore and prevalent very much in this, because you know they they, they both also revolve around women who um, have made bad choices adorable <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and have had to uh, um, and, and then have had to figure out what happiness is and have had to figure out how to have a support system. It was not built in for them. And it was was something with this, and it was something with that. And the world of ballet especially, it's a very strange world because you spend your formative years in a small dressing room with a lot of other girls staring at the thin one or the one who's got the good extension or the, the one who's a really strong jumper, and you're the one with the stomach and Snoopy on your leotard, so thanks, Mom. And, you know... It becomes like a very like a like a microcosm of your entire world, and it feels incredibly important and you know school is like those people go to school I go to ballet and so it's a very it's, it's almost like another community and that's a lot of what I wanted to show about buttonheads that and and it was a community of i mean we had a lot of boy dancers too, but obviously the focus was girls, women, you know. Everything about all these relationships were very important because they were really about just women interacting and, and using each other as a support system. Uh, you know, not to get too movie of the week, you know, kids, but it was, it was sort of thematically sort of a, a building of uh, a world
1: of women. Uh, in the pilot, we get our first taste of what Michelle has gotten herself into when she has to go find a dress. <laughs> Funeral, and we meet the owner of a boutique called Spark. <laughs> Why don't we check out that scene and the introduction of Truly? Good introduction. See, um, when you read this, what was it about this woman? This slightly. Insane lovelorn woman that made you want to play her uh,
6: i didn 't actually audition for truly i was I went out for Italia, her best friend, so I did like two auditions with that, and then I did a crazy, crazy dance call um, uh, and that was a day and bless amy 's heart after about five hours of that dance call, Amy goes. Um, do you want to come read for this other part? And I was like, oh my God, yes, please. (laughs) Doesn't mean I get to stop dancing. And so she handed me sides and I had like five minutes to read them and I I hadn't read the script. I didn't know anything about it, but it just, the words came out, like they made sense to me and it felt like I was supposed to say them and I was like, I I was disgusting and sweating in a leotard and it just happened like that (laughs) and I'm so thankful that I got that part.
2: (laughs) You know, those are the hardest parts to play, really, because they're the, they're, you know, I, 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 people like, like Stacy, like Liza Weil, you know, these are, these are people who, uh, they're incredibly gifted comedians. They know how to get that joke. They know how to, and they know how to do the loony factor. But, <laughs> but if there's not a, a core of reality to it, then you're not going to want to return to that world. Like you're, it's going to be like, well, that was the funny person for episode three. Who's next? So it's, 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 a, it's a remarkable uh, talent to be able to be that gifted in comedy, and yet it comes from someplace a little broken, a little sad, which means that there's an opportunity for connection. There's an opportunity for story. There's an opportunity for a rich future. Um, it's a it's a it's a rare quality. It's a rare gift.
1: Stacey, you were coming off another very popular show here at ATX, Friday Night Lights.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Were you actively looking for something lighter or a comedy, or were you sort of just open to whatever the universe provided? I
6: really, was open to anything. <laughs> I am um, yeah, give me. I still give me a job. Uh, I had a meeting with the casting director. Um, months before that audition and she goes, look, Stace, there's this thing, it's Amy Sherman Palladino, it's a ballet, and I was like, I'm in, I want to get me in that show, that's what I want to do.
1: And, <laughs> you know, it's
6: it's it. Like, he said Amy Sherman Palladino and then he said ballet and I'm like, this, it's too much, It's not saying good things. <laughs>
1: What I loved, though, about the evolution was there was a potential that Michelle and Truly could have just been at odds the entire series long. But very quickly, I think they found something in one another through Hubble and, honestly, through Fanny, where they found a common ground. I mean, Sutton, for you, what was exciting about playing sort of the full spectrum of that relationship in just 18 episodes? Well,
3: I'm otherwise- always... The things that excite me are complicated relationships, so it's like that love-hate relationship, and especially when you don't know where it's going to go. But I think that that we did become friends, didn't we, sort of?
6: On the show? Yeah, right? Yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> it, in life? I don't know. In
3: life, yes, but, like, <laughs> <laughs>
6: but in right. No, but uh, I, I asked you in one episode about, because I was like, but maybe you're not, and you're like, no, we're friends.
3: I know. I think that we, like, found a way to, and I mean, and same with, with Michelle and Fanny, it's like you find a way to love one another even despite all of the, the differences and the difficulties, and obviously the clashes of personalities. But that's also what makes it so interesting. Um, but yeah, I wish that we, you know, I just wish that we'd had more more time. We all do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, I know. Um, Stacey, having sort of seen what ends up being required from a dancing perspective. Are you happy with the role, with getting truly, or would you enjoy doing more dance on the show?
6: Well, Amy actually got mad at me one time because she didn't know um, I'm, a, I'm a tap dancer.
2: Yes, but thank you. you. Da- okay, thank but here's you. the thing. Not a fucking word. Here, Not a word. I have reasons. Not a word. I've got tap scenes. I would, da- I would dare I, I, any one of you. I'm pulling my goddamn mother in to be <laughs> in these tap things, and then I find out... Not from her, from just, you know, Stacey's a great tap dancer. I'm like, fuck you.
6: How do you stand next to Sutton and Foster and go, oh, uh, by the way, guys, I tap? So, no, but we were. May- maybe you didn't know. We I were... sing and I tap dance.
3: <laughs> we were pitching, Sutton. like later, like, yeah, like way late, too late, a, a duet, like a tap off between M- Michelle and Truly, but.
1: You guys can do it now. <laughs> <laughs>
3: There were, though,
1: as we have sort of talked about, some incredible routines. Um, we're about to see another one, which is. The, the, yes.
2: Which yeah. This. Well, this routine was um, was a very interesting turning point in our show because we had uh, we had done a show. And it was kind of like one of those shows that like just nothing really goes right in the show. And we had written all this material and it came in like tragically short because things weren't working. So you're cutting stuff out. And and it was it was we already spent so much money on the show and I was too short and I had to have time for the show. So I called this genius named Marguerite Derricks, who was our choreographer and she's um, a possibly, you know, half uh, f- f- godmother, fairy godmother. She's part magic. She's unbelievable. And I called her at night and I said, listen, <laughs> I need a dance. I, I, I got it, and I need it tomorrow. And uh, so I'm sending you a piece of music. Three people. It'll be Sasha. Uh, dress them in black. Make them angry. Go. Like, literally, that, that was it. And, and, and at, like, you know, 7 o'clock the next morning... <laughs> There were three girls, there was a piece of music, and this is what happened. The
1: show, throughout all 18 episodes, afforded so many dancers the opportunity to showcase their gifts in such unique, dynamic ways. Uh, Kelly, I'm wondering, for somebody who you know, grew up dancing and has a love of dance, what does it mean to you to have been part of a show that gave so many dancers this kind of opportunity?
4: I'm really glad you asked that because one of the things that I wanted to mention, and this is a perfect time, I mean, Marguerite Derricks was the most amazing choreographer. I mean, the the genius of that that piece is – and I, I hadn't done that show. That was an episode I wasn't in, so I just tuned in and I watched it. And when that came on at the end of the show, no introduction, nothing. And I went <gasps> – and I, I, I just I, – I couldn't get over how brilliant it was. And the other thing I wanted to say, which kind of go, well, mm-hmm. times into your question – is those girls, not only our, our regular um, actresses, but all the other people. Do you know how fast they learned that choreography? Marguerite, you know, put it out there and, so fast, too. But they, I mean, they not only had to learn their lines. They had to be shooting their shows. They had to learn all that choreography sometimes in a day or two days. And, they, I mean, there was so, like, how long did they actually work on Istanbul? Just one day? Oh no, not know. Yeah, they showed up. We did it. We shot it. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's, it was one shot, and we had to, we, and we just had to put it into. We, it, look, it, the thing about Bunheads is we had like no money, like like no money, like in the pilot they came to me and they said the uh, choreographer um all the dancers cause we had a big um, Vegas number, and she says all the dancers are wearing their own, sh- were told to bring their own shoes, and I said, well, that's, what? They're all gonna have different shoes. She's like, I know. And I said, all right, and you get out the wallet, and you go to Capizio's, and you hand... So it was a lot of me, a lot of people coming up to me, it's like, into the purse, here's the wallet, and it's because it was just like, there was no money. There was no money for point shoes, there was no money for dance shoes. It was a very shoestring budget. So stuff like this had to be quick, and we had to get rehearsals in within our days. Some of those girls were under 18. Julia was under 18, um, you know, a lot of our little Matisse was 11. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. So it was like, you know, we had kids that, who turned into pumpkins at a certain hour, and you just lost them. So if you didn't, if you didn't get your shit done, you're sort of like, and pumpkin. And yeah. So it was a very, um, and plus our page count. You know, on Gilmore we did 80 pages in eight days. On Bunheads we did 80 pages in seven days. What? With
4: kids. Enjoy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and then, I mean, at the, at the, now you've got dancers who are learning to act, too, and, and some of them, you know, I remember Michael Bennett. I'm, I think you probably all know who Michael Bennett was. And I remember his saying that just in the musical theater, he said, dancers are the best actors. And it's really true because when you are, I mean, I you know many of you went to ballet school or maybe still do, Uh, When you're doing, you're given a combination or you're giving some some movement across the floor. In a sense, you start making up a character. I mean, she's she's Firebird or she's uh, some sexy thing or whatever it is. You're actually creating a little life in your head as you're doing that combination. So th- these girls really had a great opportunity, and I think it's also great because the, the public can see really what goes into it. Not those cute little, I mean, they aren't cute, but documentaries and the finished product of, of ballet companies, which are always just amazing and beautiful, but to kind of see the life of a, a ballet dancer as they're coming up. And that's, that's another thing that people, people didn't get to see, and dancers so rarely get a chance to speak. You know, we don't get to speak. So uh, it was great. It was great for pretty much everybody. It just, it was too short.
1: Um, speaking of the dancers, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't take a moment to talk about Caitlin and Julia and Bailey and Emma, who plays sort of the core four bum heads on the show. Yeah. Um,
2: Then, yeah. Okay. Um, this was, uh, you know, we had in, in doing any show about four girls, um, love boys this is going to happen, <laughs> just or girls perhaps, you know, whatever. But emotional relationships uh, come up, and so we were just starting to delve into this with our girls um, when well, it was right toward the end of uh, of our run, and we were going to sort of we, we had ideas of like. You know, what if we went forward, you know, where their relationships would take them, and which we actually didn't quite have a chance to completely fulfill. We did it with Ginny because we had Ginny, the, the very kind of smart one, uh, be the first one to fall, fall for a pretty boy and just fuck him and then she never hears from him again. And it's like, <laughs> enjoy. Um, one. Um, and so we did a whole segment where, um, Sasha, who is sort of Queen B um, and likes to pretend she's the uh, bravest and coolest of, of them all, had a boyfriend and was thinking about going to the next level, but Sasha also overthinks things and needs to Research and make lists and then secretly decided I don't want to fuck fucking by myself I want all my other friends to fuck their boyfriends too because I don't want to be I don't want to be the one that shows up the next day and I'm the little whore and everyone else is like Sasha because I'll lose my ranking um, So she's this this is a little sequence where Sasha is trying to convince everybody to uh, Fuck their boyfriends at the same time <laughs> ABC family
1: How difficult was it to find those four actors for
2: those four Oh, my God. So
1: easy,
2: I'm guessing. It was so hard. You know, the the whole pilot process is so lunatic. They pick up a pilot and they say, you've got, like, six weeks to find the perfect people who are going to be on the air for ten years. Go! And it's like, you know, and and these girls were all very specific because I needed a specific body type for each, because it was part of the story. Part of the story was I wanted the girls to be going through something where a lot of it, your success is dependent on your body type. And so I needed Sasha, who had to be beautiful, look like that ballerina, have the classic body type, had to have the technique, had to be able to do it, because she was the one who had it all and didn't give a shit. I needed Boo, who had to not have the body type, who was never going to get into a company, but she had to have the technique. And the problem was, if you don't have that body type, by the time you turn 16, usually you are not doing ballet anymore. The, 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 it, has, it has pushed you out because you have to do, you're doing jazz or you're, you know, meth, whatever. I, but you're not, you're not doing ballet anymore because nobody's going to take you. So it, it was, you know, that, that was particularly difficult because I needed a rock star dancer. I need somebody who was like, she's got it all, except she's not two pounds. That's it. Um, and thank God we found Caitlyn because it was kind of Caitlyn or we were out. And, um, and then I wanted somebody very, very, very tall and lean and I wanted somebody with big boobs who, of course, the minute I cast this adorable little Bailey, she goes on a diet and the first place she lost all the weight was in her tits and her tits kept going down I'm like what what, what happened to her tits so we're like stuffing her putting, she's like I've got two bras on her I'm like Jesus Christ it's because it's the first it's, sometimes it's the first thing that goes is the boobs but um, it was it was it was really down to the wire and, and literally when we went into the network because networks like to um, they usually like to have choices now I had already not given them a choice with her I had not given them a choice with her. There basically was no choice with her either. So sort of, I had written the part of Hubble for Alan Ruck. So that was no choice. So I thought, okay, the one place I can give these people a choice where they can feel like they actually have some power in the world, I can bring them multiple kids. Except I couldn't. So I brought them one Sasha, one Boo, one Ginny. I think there were two Melanies, but it was it was literally like... And I, and I said, look, I tried. <laughs> this is, I tried, I tried, I tried. And we looked, you know, in the time we had, we looked in Chicago and we looked in, you know, New York and we looked here, we looked everywhere we could. We found um, Ginny and Sasha were both from New York. So we got them out of New York and the other two girls were here. Um, so it was, it was really, really, really hard. It was, it was very difficult, but I don't know, maybe if we had more time, I don't know. I feel like we found the right girls. I'm very comfortable in our decision.
1: We all are, I believe. The believe. Audition- the idea of auditioning, as we're talking about with these roles, yeah. is also something that was very pervasive in the show. There's constant talk of academies coming and schools looking at you, and Sasha spent the summer away. And, I mean, Michelle was having nightmares about auditioning, and it was always something that was very present in her life. Um, do you want to sort of set up the audition? Yeah, I
2: mean, the, the, the thing that was going on with Michelle is she hit that level, that dancers hit, where you're... Dancing career is, is, is ending. That's just the reality. mid-30s, if you haven't made it, you need to find a rich uh, husband, or a, uh, you need to have a skill of some sort, or go back to school or you teach. I mean, really, like it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, clock ticking. So uh, that was something we were, we were wrestling with, because I wanted to see somebody who has the goods at that point in her life. And the decision of, do I keep sticking it out, do I keep going forward, or do I just hang it up? And it's something that she wrestled with uh, in the show. So when, when I, when I kind of saw the writing on the wall, and I, I thought, well, you know, let's go out with a bang here. Fuck them. Um, I had been a dancer, and my memories of dancing were these brutal cattle calls at this church on Franklin Highland. And it was uh, such a strong, like, I I said, I would love to just do my memory of what one of those cattle calls is and take Michelle through the whole process. It had to be at this church, which drove everybody crazy, because that's the one I remember. Um, So we, uh, and we did, like, an an entire sequence in our last show, and we had to tie the girls in. We had the girls secretly follow Michelle because they didn't know what she was doing or where she was going and follow her through the audition process. And that is uh, what... Let's uh, roll. I
1: would imagine it's probably been a hot minute since you had to endure something like that two times 2020
2: or something. Uh, Dan and I were like, when we were shooting this, we were like, has Sutton ever experienced this? Because, like, she's got, like... The most... Char- like, she has one of those careers that you're like, oh, don't fucking tell me about your career, I don't want to hear it. Like, it's, like, just really, like...
3: No, but all of my first jobs were that. Every single... My very first job was an open call. The ne- my first four jobs were op- dancer open calls. Right. But, exactly like right, that.
2: But you got them. I d- yeah, I,
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> um... And that's why she's Sutton Foster!
1: So all season long, there was sort of this question as to what Michelle's future held for her. Was it paradise? Was it returning to the stage? But for you, I mean, just in your opinion, had the show seen a second season, I mean, here we are now. Where is Michelle now? Oh, God. Um, I know.
3: (laughs) I mean, the, the cool thing about working with Amy is that you know, you never, I never knew what the hell we were, where things were going to go, and, but I trust her completely. Um, I mean, I, I think Michelle definitely stayed in paradise. You know, I think she really found a home there, you know, unexpected. It's like that unexpected, um, the unexpected uh, relationships, the unexpected family. Um, I mean, I think it would have been nice for her to have found love. So that's something that I don't think she, we didn't get the chance to um, delve into in that, in that season. You know, she had a little fun fling with Godot, but that, you know, yeah. which was fun. But <laughs> but I don't think she really was able... You know, the closest thing she had to love in a weird way was Hubble, and then with Fanny, you know, she found love and family with her. Um, but it would have been nice to have seen her in a relationship.
1: Kelly, for you, Fanny still teaching ballet now? is she still got the school going full
4: force? Yes, yeah. She would. She would go on until the very, very end. And, of course, she had that... Unfortunate disappointment with her longtime boyfriend. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, she has. That's her life, and that is a dancer's life. Uh, if you really, uh, you know, you start out as a child and you you dream, and if you're good enough and you get uh, good enough training, and you're lucky enough, because so much of this business is luck, uh, then you have a career. And then it, it's kind of a given. I think I, I don't know if it happens so much with singers, and I don't think it happens that much with actors, but with dancers, once your career is over, it's kind of a given that you pass the torch and you do that by teaching other people to dance. And so uh, this is a completely natural thing for Fanny. She doesn't have anything else anyway. I mean, I imagine if um, Michelle found love, that Fanny would get really angry that she was being disloyal to Hubble or something really (laughs) twisted like that. But... Yeah, I think she just she stays forever, and things happen. But yeah, I don't see her ever leaving.
2: You know, dance is an elusive art form. You know, it's not it's not filmed, it's uh, live, and it's not uh, written down, so it can go away. You know, and a lot of like Balanchine stuff, you know, is going away. And it's up to people like Suzanne Farrell and you know to to. uh, Remind new dancers what Balanchine was, what a Balanchine dancer was, and and that is I think it's a responsibility To continue it and to teach it to others who are going to otherwise Beautiful wonderful brilliance is gonna go
1: Stacy if the end of the season truly Got to a good place with her sister. I mean as good as I feel like the two of them could be mm-hmm. uh, She has potential for the store to come back in some way Where do you think Truly is
6: now? Well, um, I think she marries Hunter. (laughs) She had such a crush. My brother. Yeah, what was his name? Scotty, right? Uh, Scotty. Oh, my brother. I was like, Hunter? What? Hunter. My brother. You've met him, Hunter Foster. (laughs) You're familiar. Yeah, I think it might. And she had a super crush, but I think that got together.
3: And it bothers the crap out of Michelle. Oh, that would drive me nuts. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, before we sort of move on to the, final, I mean, I'm curious, you said the writing was on the wall. Had you thought about season two storylines? Did you have an idea of where we'd go or had you sort of resigned yourself at that point to not thinking into a future, knowing it wasn't there? We
2: had, we had some, we had some ideas, but you know, we, we, we we knew. We know. You know, this was not you know, when you're you're on a network that really revolves around thirteen year old girls who haven't menstruated yet, it's it's a tough it's tough to continue <laughs> stories about life and emotion and it's not it's not really their game. Now maybe that game will change, but at the time they really you know, they did not know what to do with us. They literally they didn't know how to promote us because we were sort of this thing that was out there, and it was yes, there were girls, but they weren't girls in the way that their girls usually are. They weren't wearing hip clothes and solving the the crimes liar in the and title. you know whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I we kind of we we kinda, we, we were we were preparing ourselves for the demise.
1: Well, with that said, before we open it up audience questions we have one final clip would you like to set it up um should we do questions
2: whatever
1: you would like would you like to
2: do it that way yeah. okay we're gonna open it up to audience questions <laughs> yeah. uh, and then we're gonna like, only child i want it my way <laughs> my 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 way no problem
1: whatsoever uh so if you have a question just raise your hand and why don't we start right here with you
2: I think women are fascinating. I, I, you know, look, as a writer you look for, especially in a series you look for, what's going to give you the most fodder for the longest amount of time? Because the worst thing that can happen is you get a show on the air, and then at the end of the first episode, uh, uh, first season, you're like, and I'm out of story. What do I do? So to me, like, the relationships, the intricate relationships amongst family is, is a, a golden minefield because it's the thing that never resolves itself. Like even, even when families think that they've resolved their shit, they haven't. You know like the one thing you can always count on is whatever issue you have with your mother now you will have for the rest of your life and you will have you will have moments where you 're going to think hey we 're doing really good, and everything 's great and then the, the, then you'll go to thanksgiving you 'll be like, "Oh fuck no so it 's like it''s it 's kind of the gift for a writer that keeps on giving because you will never run out of weird things to write about because there 's nothing more intimate than family. There's nothing that plays into your loneliness or sense of self as to who, who's who got my back, who doesn't have my back. And for a lot of people, if your family isn't what you want it to be, and some of my characters, like like Lorelei, for example, and, and though we never really got deeply into Michelle's life, but Michelle too, because the family wasn't there in the way they wanted them to be, they had to create a family. They had to go out and and put together other like-minded damaged freaks and, you know, corral them and, and hopefully, you know, nobody, sh- you know, subs a shiv in your side. And, uh, <laughs> and that, I think that's, it's just that. It's just the, it's the, it's a fascination of the ever changing and women change, you know, you, you, you mother daughters, they can look alike and start to act alike and that's, Terrifying and wonderful sometimes. If it's you know, if it's like a cooking skill, that's fantastic. If it's you know, oh God, I have your ass. That's horrifying. So it's like you know, it's 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 just a an, it's a fascinating character study that that for what I write, um, it just never leaves me saying there going, what do I do next? Because I it doesn't count on dinosaurs or you know nothing's got to blow up or have no one's got to have superhuman powers they just have to like you know fuck you over it, you know Christmas
1: <laughs> uh, yes right here. hi Amy I'm Sarah hi Sarah uh, <laughs> hi. Um, so my question was now that there are more platforms for television um, streaming options do you think that a show like Bunheads would have been more successful in something
2: like that yes Yes, I do, I do. But, you know, at the time, it, it, it was, it was it, again, it's alchemy. You know, the, the business is what it is. It, it came out of, specifically out of my relationship with Kate Juergens, because Kate was over at uh, WB when I did Gilmore, so I sort of knew her, and she sort of knew me, and we sort of knew, you know, she knew that I was a pain in the ass, and I knew that she only brushed half her hair. So I, like, <laughs> so we, you know, so we, we got along really well, um, and we understood each other, so she knew... You know, I was gonna do my shit. So it, it it that was the place that it landed. Um, in, in a in a perfect world, possibly there there might have been other outlets for it, but you know. At least it happened. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Sam Phillips is, to me, she's, she's, um, I think she's the best. I think she's an absolutely brilliant musician. I think she's a brilliant person. Um, I, I don't, I really like in this world of like, there's, of women rockers. I wish she was, I wish she had her place. In the mantle that I think she should have her place, I, I kind of think there's no one better. And we weren't friends before Gilmore. I just was a fan and sought her out. Um, music has always been very important in, uh, in in all my work, and and you know my my husband is a music freak, and and uh, and a lot of Gilmore got uh, infected by his freakdom, and because he, he his his intense knowledge of music and feel for it and and songs can inspire stories and can inspire scenes and um, bring on emotions or express emotions Istanbul was a song that um, was the first band that, that my husband turned me on to when we got together. I think that was the test. Like if I didn't like them, I think it would have been disastrous um, and I would just have been stalking him outside of his Mar Vista home clawing at the window while he reads and ignores... <laughs> Because he would just sit there and read. Um, so, it, it, and, and But that song, Istanbul, was in my head for a very long time. And it's not an angry song. Like, if you listen to the words, the words have nothing to do about anger. But there was a feel in it that when I needed something angry and something for Sasha to express her frustration, weirdly, that is the song that, like, came to my mind. So you never kind of know. But m- music is really... I I hate anything that's overscored. I hate music for music's sake. I hate anything that feels like, let's just put hip music in there and they'll think we're hip. It's like, music is disrespected in that manner. I think if a song has... A story to tell, it's going to push your story forward. Songs should be treated like characters. It should be there for a reason. It should be respected for a reason. I don't believe in, hey, you've got a band playing in the corner and then it's just like, we're going to have a talk over here and the band's just. You, it's like, why put a fucking band in the corner, man? If the band's in the goddamn corner, let the band play. Let's hear what they're playing and what does it have to do with the scene? Otherwise, you're a hack and an asshole. So I, I just feel very like. We really, really, really tried to make sure that music meant something to, to... And also, music now is so fucking expensive. It's so hard to get a goddamn song, Elton John, that... Screw like, you, Elton. It's like, do you remember, dude, in the days when you were just playing the piano and you were art for art's sake and you didn't have your $400 billion floral arrangement showing up every day? Do you remember that, Elton? Um, that, that, that when you work in, in shows like ABC Family or CW or WB, those songs really better mean something because you're paying up the ass for them. And that, and that means you're not hiring characters. You're, you've given up a set, you know, a lung. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's very, it's, music is important and needs to be valued and it's too expensive, Elton John. That's all I have to say. We're all on meds. We're all stable. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen. We all, we, we coordinated. We're very even right now. Nobody is in danger. Is it like
7: seeing an old relationship?
3: It feels like you've all put a part of yourself into something and then to watch the clips again I'm just wondering what the emotions would for all of you. I mean, for me, this was an incredibly special time in my life. You know, it was. Uh, and what has come out of it has been amazing friendships. Um, so I, thank God I still have that. But uh, it feels awesome to watch it. It makes me want to watch the whole series again because I I've, I've only saw it when it was I haven't watched it rewatched it. But uh, yeah, it was. I was like, oh yeah, right. Like I'm remembering things. So it just feels very. Um, it feels Are we going to get
6: a DVD set ever?
2: Oh, I know. Is there going to be a DVD? Uh, you know, I- right. I was- I was and on. K- I was on Kate's ass about that, and then she got fired. So I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't have to be on the new person's ass, and I don't know.
1: The good news is it's on iTunes. You can buy it on iTunes. Yes. <laughs> but what about for you, Kelly, and for Stacey? Um, what is it like watching that?
4: I actually, uh, yes, it, it recalls some uh, some scenes that were i'd forgotten how funny they were, and even little bits and pieces of them so it was, it was delightful and i that istanbul i 'm so excited I was going to get to see that again but I, I, what it really does for me is it, it there's a there's a re- there's a sadness there's a regret it's like oh that was we had a good time, and we didn't have enough time and you know uh, that could have really been you know so there's yeah. just that kind of uh you miss it. You miss it. Because there, there was so far, especially having worked with Amy and, and Dan before on on a show that had some legs. It's so nice to to be able to know that it's going to grow and grow and expand and get, you know. And to have it sort of like get taken away from you, you're going to go, oh, okay, all right. Well, we tried, and the same thing. We met some wonderful people, got to work with some great people. But it 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 left too soon so that's it's just a little sad you know for me
6: you um no it is it's just sad and i think there's a whole now missing in what amy did which is like a story about really strong women and it was written by women and produced by women and we had this amazing woman dp and i feel like that that there's that isn't happening right now but we did it for a little bit and that was really cool Thank you turn it
2: You know, the, ba- the ballet world, although, you know, every kid has a phone, you know, or two or something in their hands at all times, usually when they're taking your order, so they won't write it down. <laughs> not bitter, but really fucking just remember coffee, sandwich, it's not that hard. <laughs> um, uh, but again, our world was about ballet. So in the ballet class, ballet, ballet dancers are unbelievably disciplined. That shit doesn 't fly, so um, outside, sure, but in that in that sanctuary of the ballet studio it 's fanny 's world, and you 're all living by it. Um, as far as, like, you know, when we, when we did Gilmore, there was obviously... There wasn't as much cell phones, uh, stuff. There wasn't as many pads and things like that. This, we know, we used it a little bit. We, we had them have their cell phones and stuff like that, but it wasn't about that. It was... It was and it wasn't even about, like, we're eschewing that, you know. Uh, it was just about, you know, what is this little safe haven for these girls as they grow up with each other? You know, what is the bonding between women? How can women help each other, hurt each other. You know, it was it was, it was was much more about that. And because, you know, we had, like, zero money. Like, zero money. Um, we didn't go out a lot. You know, we shot at Calamigas Ranch with, like, The Biggest Loser, like, a, a block away, like, jumping on things and having nervous breakdowns and bathrobes, and I don't still want to know what fucking madness was going on over there, except that their generator was very loud, and it... We had sound issues. <laughs> Biggest loser. Lose your generator. Um, but uh, it, it was really just the world was, you know, look, in TV, you do what you can. If you have a, a big, fancy budget, you're your you're house of cards. You know, if everything you do is paid for, delightful. You know, Robin Wright and your fancy dresses. But, <laughs> you know, if you have, you know, $2 and, and a pack of gum, you don't have a big world. So your internal world has to be rich and it has to be full of energy and love and story uh, because you can't walk out on the street and get hit by a car because the cars are very expensive. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. that. Um, I believe we have one other treat for everybody.
2: Yeah, you know, when we got canceled, we got canceled like 13 years after we went down for the last episode because that's how ABC Family works. Because, like, it's not just enough to cancel you. They have to make you wait a year and then cancel you. And uh, it's a very humane system. <laughs> and I I applaud them for coming up with it. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, so so uh, we never really got to say goodbye to each other, to anything. And, and we, I was talking with Marguerite, and I was saying, God, I would love to do something, you know, for the cast for the fans or something and so we kind of like went around to like studios and said hey who wants to give us some for free <laughs> or at least less you know and and then um jackson douglas who was a wonderful one of our directors and <laughs> i mean and what part of gilmore and just a, a great 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 friend uh I think, um, stole a lot of equipment for us. I, don't, I hope it was legal because he showed up with like lights and cameras and shit. And I'm like, I don't even, look, I don't even want to know where this came from. And he's like, I just got to have it out of here by six. That's all I got to say. Um, and then he, he, and, and, and he had some guy who knew how to turn a camera on. And then we put him on a director's chair. And then Jackson pulled the director's chair. And Marguerite threw this dance together. And everybody sort of showed up. And it was... It was the purest labor of love in my career I've ever seen because nobody was getting shit out of it, except they all really wanted to say thank you to each other and thank you to the fans.
1: Personally, I feel like Younger was one of the biggest surprises for me of this last season. It is an absolutely touching, brilliant, smart, insightful comedy with an amazing performance. That was not a surprise. From star Sutton Foster. Everybody give her a big round of applause. It's just you and me this time. Um, the, this show is truly, I feel like, unlike anything I've re- seen. I mean, the opportunities afforded to its star seem endless. I mean, there's so many levels to play, there's so many things at work at a given time. When you read this, I, I, how did the project come to you originally? Uh, I, uh, is that on? Am I on? Here, let me <laughs> You take this
8: one. Oh, okay.
3: So I wasn't necessarily... I was actually waiting to see if Bunheads was going to get picked oh up. I know. <laughs> I know. So, like, that was, that was sort of... Um, I was kind of holding out. I was... I'm naive. And so I was like, I was like it's coming back. And, uh, and then they canceled us at, like, the last minute. And so I was kind of at a loss of what I was going to do. And my agent called, and he was like, there's this Darren Star script. And he sent it to me, and I read it. You know right away and I was like oh that could be fun and uh I didn't even really think about um I, I I was sort of falling through the cracks that was what was so great about bunheads with Michelle is that she was sort of like it's like that that a you know that age of like I uh, sort of like the uh, the mm, I, I can't think of the word sort of like the in between mm-hmm. and I was sort of falling through the cracks in the casting and stuff I was sort of reading reading younger for certain things and like not reading old enough for other stuff and so I was getting kind of frustrated and this I was like oh this could be fun I think I could pull that off maybe um but I didn't uh and then I met with Darren and then I went in and auditioned
1: I kind of love that. I mean, it's ironic in a lot of ways that in the industry you were reading too young for older roles and too old for younger roles, and yeah. then comes this project where it's like, actually, we need exactly an actress who can do that. Right.
3: <laughs> right. And I was like, oh, I think I can pull that off. And then, and then when we started filming it, I was then started feeling the pressures of like, of like actually trying to pull it off, like yeah. the, the the concept of, and I bought a lot of. Eye cream, and um, and I was like, oh my god! Like I hadn't really thought about my age or like what I look like, or I don't know if that makes me naive, or I just didn't even think about it and, until this until this job. And I was like, oh, like my my like employment is dependent on my skin quality, and like if I can pull off this ruse, you know. But what I love about the show is that I feel like you see the hopefully you see the the older and the younger woman. All the time, you know, It's I, I don't think it should be a, a, a you know, a, a solid dunk.
1: No, I completely agree. I mean, there's those great moments where she, you know, slips back into her older self when she tries to go on the date at the mall in New Jersey and, you know, and you get to see that side of her and how what she thought once was her life doesn't have to be. And the excitement of that possibility I yeah. think is really amazing to watch.
3: Well, it's all about rein, reinventing yourself and being able to... Uh, that it's never too late for reinvention and never too late to start over. And, you know, it's, uh, life is, it's about, you know, taking your life in your own hands and sort of making it what you want. And that's what I, that's what I love about it. And it's, a, you know, it's like a fairy tale. So it's its fun. It's been, it was been awesome to be a part of.
1: I mean, it's kind of amazing too. I love that in so many ways, Younger's concept is sort of like a middle finger to the industry at large. The idea that, you know, this is kind of what, women specifically are asked to do. I mean there was just that story about is Rebel Wilson lying about her age? You know, and oh, I know. it's and it's but it's it's crazy that an industry forces people to feel that like that's a necessity. I mean what did you enjoy about sort of the message behind that concept?
3: I didn't even really I don't even I didn't even really think about all of it until we started doing press for it mm-hmm. and people started talking to us about ageism and I I don't know why. I've never really thought about my own age. I still feel like I'm 15. Like, I still feel like the floundering um, kid, you know? I, I didn't... And, and as I'm navigating my career, and I'm no longer the ingenue, I'm, I'm now navigating into other roles and trying to figure out all that shit. And so it's like how... So I didn't really think about it until people started asking me questions about ageism. And like, I was like... <laughs> wait a minute, am I supposed to panic? Like, is my career over? I had no idea. <laughs> um, so I, like, it was, like, new to me, and I, again, I don't know if that just makes me naive, but I also feel like, um, you know, I've never lied about my age. I feel very proud of who I, like, of my age and where I'm at in my life, and I have had a very full life. I've lived many lifetimes of incredible opportunities and things, and, uh, I'm excited about the roles that are to come. You know, if I keep trying to, um, I don't want to be the person I was. You know, I mean, me, Sutton doesn't. I don't want to play the roles I played when I was in my twenties. I've already done those. I'm excited about you know what's to come. So it's like I really want to ride the wave of it all. I, what I what I think is interesting. I mean, and sad about like, yeah, I'm not a. I'm not i um, I'm not a politician. I'm not a. I'm not a. Uh, you know, uh, someone who's in the uh, front of the boat, I'm usually skipping through the fields, playing with butterflies. So I, I'm not, like, someone who's, like, charging the, uh, the quest of uh, feminist ageism things. But I, because uh, I just want to, you know, be happy and, like, I, there's a reality to, you know, just getting older and that, I'm, I'm all for it. But, um, but as far as the show, what I love about it is, is just being able to take charge of your life, And, you know, I always thought of it like, uh, I always keep, I always use this, the Tootsie analogy. So it's like Dustin Hoffman, that was his, that's, so he was, that was his way of being like, all right, you're not going to hire me this way, then I'm going to do this. And that's sort of what I think is like behind Liza. She's like, well, I'm going to do this. And this is, well, because I'm not, I don't, I'm not, uh, I don't want to compromise sort of what I believe in, meaning like my passions. She, she's passionate about books, passionate about reading, and that's what she wants to do. And so, if this is the, if the way it's going to work, then this is the game she's going to play. Um,
1: I don't know if I'm making any sense. Made all the sense. Oh. You made all the sense. Um, but I. A, you, un- you, <laughs> oh, that was uh, terrible!
3: That was terrible. Uh, uh,
1: lone panelists. It's all right. All Killing alone, it. All alone. Don't need anyone else. We're good. <laughs> I don't even have to be here. Um, <laughs> You've done an amazing job in the span of just a very short first season, a cable first season, of really making the audience care about Liza's journey. And I think one of, you know, I think a great, I was very upset when that slush pile script did not turn out to be written by a real novelist. I was like, Anna Gasteyer, how dare you? Um...
3: I'm, you want you hope to root for her. You know you have to actually yeah. because uh, I was as I was sort of realizing I was like oh man like audiences have to get behind her or it's not gonna like then it's all gonna just sort of fall apart because if you concentrate on the fact that she's like lying to people then you're gonna be like well but if you're like behind her and you root for her and you're like go Liza go yeah. then that's good. But yeah
1: yeah absolutely. But I mean I think you know her lies really truthfully the work lies I think you know. Very understandable from the jump. I think the Josh of it all was the place where she got caught in something she did not want, and that person—that so was—I mean, so that was the sweet. thing you got caught. In, I know. I know. I know. Right. Um, but I was very impressed with her as a character for coming clean in the way that she did. I think it would have been very easy for her to continue telling that lie to him specifically. When you did, you always know that her secret would sort of be a one-season deal. I think
3: I knew that. Um, that we knew. They, the writers uh, were able to sort of craft the whole first season before we started shooting, which was, which was awesome. So we, I knew that at the end of the first season, Josh was going to find out. I didn't know that we would be on Molly. and like, I, I didn't know all that stuff, and I was like, what? What's Molly? But um, I didn't realize all that. But uh, I did know that, that someone... I think someone had to find out by the end of the first season, or it wouldn't have... Like, you know, how long can really, I think that that was, we knew, but I didn't know how he was going to react or what was going to happen.
1: There's also, you know, one of the great things we talked about, Bunheads, a moment ago, that this shares is its relationships between women. With the exception of Diana, and this has actually changed over the first season, it's not a competitive relationship. There's no competition with Kelsey, played by Hillary Duff. There's no competition with Maggie, played by Debbie Mazur. I mean, and I love that. I mean, it, is that something, as a person you feel driven to sort of not put out into the world the idea that women need to be competitive with one another?
3: Absolutely. You know, I think women... That's... Yes. I mean, I have my... I'm trying (laughs) to... I've lost my complete use of words. But that's one of the things I love about Younger is that it is women rooting for each other, women who have each other's back. They're not throwing each other under the bus. They're not stepping on one another. to. They're not setting someone on fire. They're, like, really, like, really, really friend. It's all about friendship. And even, like, even the relationship with Diana, what I love about that relationship is that it starts off one way, but then it begins to grow, and there's a real... Yes, it's complicated and yes, there's stuff going on, but there is a real sort of understanding and a camaraderie that begins to build and that's what I think is that's what I think is interesting. But also like women women liking women and women supporting women, I think is really important to see on TV and in like in this way. And so I'm yes, very excited to be and that was the same with Bunheads. Yeah, too. absolutely.
1: I mean when Diana paid for Liza's daughter's tuition, I was like, "This is such a good moment for Diane and her yeah. enormous necklaces. Um, she wears huge necklaces. They, she does. They're yes. enormous. Yeah, we
3: call like, her Mr. T. Yeah, she really. We always like. She turns the corner, and we want to know like what she's got going. So yeah, she's got massive jewelry.
1: I love that. I think a great you know example of the female friendships and sort of what they've created is I'm terrified for Kelsey to find out Liza's secret as well. Like I'm genuinely nervous for the state of that friendship because it's so fast and it's so genuine and there's a real affection there. I mean, what do you know about that? I
3: don't know anything. No, I'm just kidding. But I
1: mean, do you, do you understand sort of, is that the ultimate sign for you that it's
3: worked? Obviously someone was asking me, they said, who, who do you think will take it the best and who do you think will take it the worst? And I think Kelsey would take it the worst. I really do. Like I really think that she would feel really betrayed by it in some way. Um, Oddly, you know, I, Josh handles it pretty well. I oddly think Diana would handle it
1: okay. I think she would get it. I think she'd get yeah. it too and
3: may, might admire me for it. Oh. Maybe? And, I, was, um, I don't know. But I think Kelsey, I think that's, that, there, there could be some damage there. Yeah.
1: I mean, the announcement of Younger getting picked up for a second season was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Even before I knew sort of where we left off, knowing there would be more of a story to be told, after the experience you had on Bunheads, where you fell so deeply in love with it, and then were strung along, as we talked about in today's panel, what was your reaction when you found out you guys would be back and get to tell more younger stories?
3: I was super excited. You know, it's it was Bunheads was like uh, Bunheads was like my freshman year, like of college. You know, and I, I felt it was perfect in so many ways, and I. I tend to naively look at life in a very sort of wide open, like everything's going to work out way. And I never sort of, I always expect the best, which I think has served me well, but also um, can, can leave me you know, disappointed at times. So I really did expect, like for some reason I was like, Bunheads will be here forever. And um, so I was, I, was, I was devastated when it was canceled. Um, going into younger, I feel like this is my sophomore year, uh, I definitely, I, I went in with a little bit more um, reservations and sort of preparedness that anything could happen. Uh, I was grateful that they, that the network has been so behind the show and, and we knew we were putting together something that we felt was of, of good quality. Um, I mean, we felt that way with Bunheads too, but, but it was nice to have a network who really, who really believed in us and, and has give, is giving us opportunity to grow and, and really find a, a bigger audience.
1: I'm curious your engagement with social media through four younger is obviously stronger than it was with bunheads because I think in four years just it's cha-
3: changed it's, completely yeah it's grown so much
1: What has sort of been your experience delving into that world of live tweeting and doing oh, Q&As I mean does it in any way sort of resemble Liza's journey in trying to figure out what a hashtag yeah, is in kinda, the pilot you know,
3: Like it's. but it's such a it's you know I grew up where I had like where I used pay phones and I didn't have a cell phone and I didn't have an email and, you know, I didn't get email till college. And, you know, it's like now this is just part of the, it's just what it is. So I'm, um, I'm figuring it out. You know, I, I, uh, I always forget something when I'm doing a live tweet. I always forget something like there's like, per- I don't know what even what the period does. You're supposed to put a period at the beginning. Yes. I don't know what that does, but I always forget the period. I always forget something, but it's, but it's fun. I mean, the thing I like about Twitter and, and Instagram, and it's like a way to connect with fans um, in a way that feels, uh, that's like, it feels safe. (laughs) Unlike right now, (laughs) which feels scary. But, um, but it feels like a safe way to sort of connect with people and be able to like say, hey, you know, you know, we're all just sort of in this together.
1: If there was no truer sign of how much of a wide-eyed optimist you are, it's that you just called Twitter safe. Um, (laughs) But that is lovely. Don't lose it. No, I love it. I love it so so much. Keep it. Well, on that note, I'm going to open it up to audience questions. So if you have a question, just raise your hand, and we will go from there, and I'll start with you.
3: Favorite episode so far of this one? <laughs> no. Um, I would probably say um, the last two were pretty awesome, but probably episode eight, which was um, called Skate, and it was uh, there was a great scene at the end with uh, my character and Charles, the boss. I know, right? <laughs> Peter Herman and so we had like this really cool scene where he came home after a, uh, the Penn Awards and I had been babysitting for his kids and it's probably one of my favorite scenes that I got to shoot because it was like it was a there's like definitely chemistry there between Liza and Charles but then right after she leaves Charles she goes down to meet Josh and Josh has a skateboard and then she's like skateboarding down the street and it was just this great sort of back-to-back of, like, her options and what her life could be. And it was really fun. And I, I just adore Peter, and I adore Nico so much. So I really... That was just a really fun, fun episode.
1: Do you do all your own skateboard stunts?
3: Does it look like I do all my own <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. I tried. I did. I tried to learn how to... First of all, I don't like things on my feet, strapped to my feet, or anything with wheels, or anything that makes me go downhill where I can't <laughs> stop and use my hands or or the threat of falling. So I don't like rollerblading or skating or skiing. And so they're like, we're going you need to skateboard. And I was like, great. But I was getting married in like f- four weeks and they've strapped like um, uh, wrist guards on me and like a helmet. And I'm in like the back lot of the stages trying to learn how to skateboard. First of all, I've never been on a skateboard in my life. F- 40 years old, you don't, this is not what you do. And so, and I was like, I tried and I, I learned how to like push, push push glide and i was like i'm gonna die and then <laughs> and then i it was awful and i hated it and then they um they didn't make me do it they strapped me to something that made me look like i was doing
1: it You <laughs> magic because i was Apollo. like i don't
3: want to fall and then have like broken head and wrists and hips for my wedding because i thought that might be weird but it would be a good story but not worth it
1: right <laughs> wise choices wise choices wise choices right. uh right here
3: Do what? Is there no normal day? Anymore? No, I mean, right now I'm kind of on hiatus, so um, I, feel, uh, I feel pretty normal in a weird way. Um, you know, I feel very incredibly lucky of, like, the opportunities I've had, especially with, with so much theater and then having two amazing TV projects to work on. You know, I feel so lucky. And, I've, and most of all, I feel really, really lucky that I've got to work with the people um, that I've gotten to work with—it's incredible. But it is—I mean, life is busy, you know. Um, but it's—you uh, know—high-class problems. You know, the minute I, the minute I get—I'm like, I'm bored. It's like, shoot me in the face, you know. I feel very lucky that I'm um, that I that I get to do what I do. Uh, and and right now, I'm just enjoying being in Austin. That's so right. that's I'm like, that's right. focusing on the moment.
6: Beautiful, love it.
3: Oh yes, of course hi. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. I'm so scary. <laughs> well, happy birthday. Uh I I really didn't know anything. Luckily I worked with Luckily, my first foray was Bunheads, and I had Amy, who like totally took care of me. Um, I think the biggest surprise, maybe two things. The two biggest surprises were like the pace of the day. Like when I'm, when you do theater, you are sort of on for like three hours. You know, you're like yes, ah, ah yeah, and it's like three hours of like onness. And in TV, it's a lot of like on and off, on and off, on and off. And so when I was first doing it, I was sort of like trying to be on like all day <laughs> and then I'd, I'd get to the end of the day and i was like I don't know. like this isn't gonna work so towards the end i like uh, i was like learning how to sort of be able to be on for, for when the camera's rolling and then be able to like chill and you know relax and sort of feel out the pace of the day um, the other big surprise for me oddly is just the the newness of every day of doing tv um, every day is a new challenge. Every day is a new scene. Every day is like a new opportunity of something, something, something. But then with theater, you have the the safety of, of being able to like to do the same thing every day and mine it and like really dig deep and like. Ah. But with TV, you kind of have to leap and and um, and you can't get in your what you have to just because the train's going and you can't. And that was what was great about doing something like Bunheads, where we were shooting so many pages and in um, so few days and you just had to, I was like I just had to go, 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 go. There was no time to kind of go oh, I'm scared or I, I don't know it or I had to be like prepared and I think that, I was like
1: oh, wow, okay
3: I wasn't ready for that.
1: Uh, yes, right there. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
3: Um, I, I don't think the show's ever going to be an hour. I think, I know. It is short. It's like 22 minutes. I know. Um, I mean, I selfishly like that it's a half an hour, half hour, because it's just, you know, <laughs> seems more manageable. But um, Brooklyn was awesome. You know, I'd never really spent a lot of time in Brooklyn, so it was all very new to me. Um a lot of really cool places. I still, they, you know, a van, like, picks me up in the morning and then takes me places. So I really don't, don't really know where I was. But, uh, but saw some really cool, um, cool places. Um, and it was just cold, you know, because we shot from September to December. So they were like, try not to look cold. So I was like, okay. And they're strapping, like, heat packs all over my body. But, um, but yeah, but it was great. We'll be back. Yes, right here. We, it was like the Bebop and Hippity Hoppity Macarena Jump class. There was like this crazy ass thing they made me do on Bunheads um, where I had to say, oh, I, I gotta go, I gotta go do my... I can't, I can't do it because my brain has died. Um, it's left, it's been f- deleted. But I had to like list all of these dance styles like back to back to back and it was like a 20 second thing of like all these things I had, all these classes I had to teach at one time and it was on Bunheads and, and I was like, oh, sh- crap, how am I going to memorize this? And I would drive around Los Angeles saying it over and, over and over and over and over and over and over again so that I could could nail it. But that's probably one of my favorites. The beep I can't even remember it.
1: Uh yes, right there? Uh, we can come to you. Now. Yeah. Either way. A
3: totally. She's awesome. Um I was excited just cuz I was like, "Oh, this that's you know, she's like major you know so I was like oh that's cool Um, I mean she was Lizzie McGuire was after my time like I that wasn't I wasn't in the pocket for that so I kind of missed that opportunity but um, so I've never really seen a Lizzie I've never seen that so I just know her from the show Um, she's super awesome she's like the most well-adjusted celebrity person I've ever met like she's like a normal she tries really hard to be normal she actually is normal. Um, does that make sense? Like, she's not, like, she's, like, totally cool. Uh, she would, you know, get harassed and attacked by, you know, paparazzi. Every, you know, it was like she was like a piece of bacon. We'd shove her out and, and while we were shooting. But, um, but she'd handle everything in stride, and she's an awesome mom, and really, really cool. I, uh, I, we had a, everybody, the whole cast was awesome. We had a really great time.
1: And then the person who was just right behind her? Yeah.
3: But I think it's good for her, too, you know? Like, she's trying to navigate her career, too. So I think it's fun to see her be... Um, she can't be Lizzie McGuire forever, so I think it's fun to see her be a little naughty and a little dirty. And, you know, she's like... It's, it's a. I think it's an awesome career move for her. And it's been fun to watch her navigate it.
1: I'm now confused as to what that show was about, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, right here. What? I don't, now I don't know what Lizzie McGuire was about. It sounds very different from what I thought. Oh. <laughs> yes, right here.
3: It's probably something from Gilmore. I know. I know. I keep... It's hard for me to get off of that because I probably would just... I would want to be in, like, some, uh, you know, long-lost sibling or sister of someone related to the Gilmore clan.
1: Don't we all? Yeah. Don't we all? Uh, Anyone else? Questions? Good. Well, then, let me uh, sort of come back to this when you look at where you leave where you left the show in season one where you left Liza and sort of that walk off with Josh what excites you about just the potential for that character in a second season
3: I think there's a lot of places that the show could go you know I think that's what was exciting when I read the pilot I was like oh man there's like so many avenues that it could go you know I'm I'm curious as to sort of see how she navigates a that relationship with with Josh but also her daughter coming back like I think that'll be interesting like how will she you know how will she deal with that like will the daughter obviously the daughter will be sort of in on it I guess but like maybe or maybe not or will she hide it from her or will she like I don't know um, I'm interested about what will
1: happen with Charles are you I mean I mean I don't want to make you pick because I are you like team Josh or
3: team well no see that's what I think so cool about the show is that they've, she's, they've given her two, like, completely viable love interests. Yeah. It's not like one's an asshole or one's, right. like, you know, a pain. It's like, I think that they both have, um, they're both very uh, appealing. Yeah. So, I, I'm, I'm curious.
1: I've also just realized in this moment that those two guys, it's Josh Charles, who's, like, the actor from The Good Wife. And I'm now oh just gosh, realizing totally. this at this second. Totally. Um do you know uh, when you guys are going to go back to work do you will you be living in winter once again trying to look yeah, warm
3: Yeah so we're shooting from in uh, September to December again and I think it's we're, we'll be back on the air in January
1: As somebody who lived in New York for a very long time obviously doing theater what is it like to get to film a television show on the streets and in Madison Square Park and make New York sort of as cliché as it is a character in the show It's awesome
3: you know I it's It's awesome, especially Brooklyn too. It's like I feel like we're um, really—it's like a love letter to Brooklyn, you know. And so it's—it's been. um, I mean, it was interesting. There was a scene in Bryant Park that we shot early on, where one of the characters, Lauren, had to get topless, and she was doing Topless Tuesday, and she had like little pasties on, and we're in Bryant Park, and she's like naked except for like little like heart shaped things on her nipples, and we're like, what the hell are we doing? were being really cool and like giving us like space as she's like naked she's like we're like we got you we got you we're not gonna let anyone take any photos of you we're gonna try not to but you're like in New York and there's something very um I don't know it's it's awesome New York is an amazing city you know I've I've lived there for like 15 16 years and uh I've this is the this is the first time I've ever really shot anything in the city so it's uh it's definitely an experience but but
1: but cool. I feel like I've learned a lot through the character Lauren about what the youths are doing now. Yeah, I mean, I, know. I don't think ta- I mean is Tablo's Tuesday actually a thing? I, it is now. But like, I don't know. But I also would love to have a drunken bar mitzvah at 26 years old. I feel like that was the best idea yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you get a script and you get to see things like that, are those the moments where you're like, my job is pretty cool? Yeah, I mean.
3: yeah. It was, you know, we would get the. What I thought was one of my favorite moments of the whole shoot was um, we were filming the last, we shot, we blocked shots, we shot episodes sort of at the same simultaneously, and we got episodes 11 and 12, the last two episodes at the same time, and we were, um, the whole cast was, like, on a break, and we were all on our iPhones, like, huddled, like, reading the scripts, because we wanted to know what was going to happen, and we would go, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'd be like, Nico. Nico. We like, oh, where are you? Where are you? we were, like trying to figure out like where we were, but we were so excited because we wanted to know. We've like fallen in love with these characters and kind of wanted to know what was gonna gonna happen. And I, I'm curious to see where it'll all go.
0: As are we all,
1: Sutton. <laughs> um, thank you so much for Thanks. being here today. Thank you everyone Thanks, for your great questions and for coming out. <laughs> What did you think? Excellent. Well, to talk a little bit about the show, its inception, its creation, its production, its potential future lawsuits on the children of America, uh, please help me welcome to the stage the cast and the crew. Sometimes all in one, uh, in no particular order, we have Caitlin Barlow, Kate Lambert, Katie Colliton, Kate Freeman, Katie O'Brien, Catherine Thomas, and executive producers Jay Martell and Ian Roberts. Give them a hand, everybody. You, now, all of you guys were part of like a, a improv comedy troupe, right? Can you talk to me a little bit about the origins of you all coming together?
9: Sure. Uh, so I actually put the group together, um, and it started because we were all in classes together and just getting to know each other through the comedy community in Chicago. And I just thought it was really bizarre that I knew all these really funny women named Kate or Katie. <laughs> so I put the group together, just sending out Facebook messages, more as a joke, just be like, oh, we all have the same name. It's so funny. Um, And then we started doing shows, and uh, we figured out that we have great chemistry, and we're all really different performers, uh, but we bring different strengths, uh, and here we are seven years later.
1: I love that. Um, In terms of the show itself, do you want to sort of, I'll just, I don't know who wants to discuss it. We'll talk about the idea of teachers. I mean, at what point did you say, let's do a show about the world's, I mean, I don't want to say worst teachers, because there have been terrible teachers on television, but I mean, they're not great. Let's be real. Um, where did the idea for this show come from originally?
10: Well, the idea we um, were the group that Katie did, and um, we had we had done a pilot or had written uh, a pilot previously, but we had nothing had gone with it. And um, a friend of ours who's a casting director and director in Chicago met with us and said he wanted to do something with us. And basically, he threw out the idea of teachers based on that we all look like we could be teachers and we don't look like necessarily we're funny. Um, But, um, and also he had kind of the same idea. We had a conversation with him about how, you know, teachers are held on this high pedestal, but you're still people. And when you're in your, you know, early to mid twenties, you make a lot of mistakes at your job. But when you make a mistake as a teacher, you know, it has an impact. So uh, Matt Miller ha- came up with the original just concept, but then together we each developed our own characters and wrote the web series together.
1: I love that. I mean, let's talk about that process of sort of building out these characters. I mean, what was important? Obviously, you want them to have common traits and things that would, you'd get why they would be friends. But I mean, what was important to you guys in sort of figuring out each individual identity?
7: Well, when we started writing the characters, we decided to approach it from Um, the idea of taking something really small or maybe big about ourselves and heightening it
8: Mm
9: -hmm.
7: a ton. Uh, So we all kind of picked that one thing about ourselves and heightened it and heightened it and heightened it for the web series. Um, And so we each took a little bit of ourselves. Um, So you all know a little bit more about us (laughs) as people now. Um, uh, And then when it came down to taking it from the web series to TV, we realized we had to kind of heighten them even more because they were all a little too similar. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, they, weren't, they were different, but they felt like six women that were a little bit too much alike. So we, we heightened them even more. So if you see our web series, you'll see that these characters have changed a lot. Like, my eyeliner got <laughs> a
5: lot thicker.
1: <laughs> I, love, I mean, can you talk a little bit more about sort of the fun in adapting a web series for television? I mean, you get to expand. You get to really play kind of in a different ballpark. Yeah. Um, Wait, there was... are also wireless microphones, oh, which I saw across the room, but continue. <laughs> well,
5: we love passing it back and forth. Um, yeah, it was really fun to kind of explore who these people were for a longer period than two yeah. minutes. Um, and it was great to kind of really explore, like, their relationships with each other. And, you know, on the web, we really made it a point to have our content be really, really short. Because as consumers, we knew that nobody's going to watch something that's longer than a minute or a minute and 30 seconds And So when we were able to translate it to TV, we could really explore the personal relationships between the teachers more and the world, like the classrooms and how they interacted with their students and other, you know, characters like Hot Dad or the principal. So that was really a cool um, thing that we learned going to TV that we could explore that more.
1: It's also a great time because... everyone always says that there's not enough people telling women's stories on television, on film, and the people who really are are self-starters like you guys and doing it for yourselves. I mean, in having that ability and having that option, uh, what was important to you from producing standpoints and from creative standpoints to have come through with the show? Whoever wants to take it.
7: Um, Well, I think... uh, We really wanted to be able to tell our stories and our characters and um, things that our girlfriends have told us about their experiences. Caitlin Barlow, at the end here, actually was a Chicago public school teacher for a few years, so give her a hand, because that's hard. But, uh, so when, when it came down to it, um, TV Land came to us to uh, look at a pilot, and at first, you know, TV Land, in our minds, was, you know, they do throwback stuff. They're, they're classics that comes, um, and the shows that they had that are newer content that they're developing were, were multi-cam, and, like, just not in our styles. so if you've ever watched A TV Land show, it's probably a lot different than (laughs) what you saw. So I think at first we thought, oh, no, are they going to try to rein us in? Are they going to try to clean it up? Is it going to be multi-cam? Are we going to have a studio audience? And TV Land is going under like, a amazing kind of renaissance, this new wave of newer, younger programming. And they gave us so much freedom. It was unbelievable. I mean, we even found ourselves kind of reining it in a bit as we were writing the pilot, and they were going, no, 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 no. Like, we want your voice. We want your vibe. Like, get gross. Do what you got to do. And we were like, for real? And so, I mean, really, they, they really supported our voice. So it it was kind of this magic pairing that happened right away we feel very lucky about that
1: i was gonna say guys i mean as producers you must know how rare it is to have a network basically be like here's the money do whatever you think is hilarious i mean how great is that as an opportunity for you Uh,
11: yeah it's what you hope they're gonna let you do and that's what they should all do if you read books about the breakthrough comedies it's always these guys wrote for the stage and had never written before you got seinfeld didn't know anything about what he's supposed to do, so he does a unique show. So I think that they're always doing the right thing for a show when they let people have their their um, free reign. And I think we've been very lucky. Uh, uh, the past two shows we've done, Key and Peel and this show, we've had uh, producers of the network that have basically just given helpful notes to shape it in the direction you're going and not notes to shape it in some different direction they're thinking of.
1: The, um... The 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 old adage is to never work with animals or children, and I feel like I mean clearly you guys have a goat in the first episode. Um, There's also a lot of children. I mean, what has that been like? Sort of, they're not super incorporated into the things that would make their parents be like, maybe you don't want to do this show. Um, But was that sort of like that where the line had to be drawn there, or in future episodes will children need therapy? It's a total nightmare. (laughs) Really.
8: We've talked that we we're, 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 we ha- we all have trepidations about contributing to the the children entertainment industrial multi you know, industrial complex you know that, that um, and when you get a good kid it's so exciting, uh, you know a kid who's actually like a hum- you know acts like a human being and not like a trained animal, um, <laughs> but it's really hard it's definitely the hardest part about producing this series.
1: Were you like, maybe one day they'll just become teachers at a junior college, and it'll just make our lives as human beings so much easier? I mean,
12: probably not, because there's, like, just something magical and exciting about elementary school that you don't find in, like, the dark hole that is middle school and high school, which uh, wouldn't have been as fun to play with, I think, for us, other than these these, like... K through sixth graders.
6: Yeah, and I was going to say too, on top of that, it's, uh, the dichotomy is between what we're saying and the, the people who are actually hearing it every day. So when we say inappropriate things or maybe too honest about the way your life might turn out in front of children, it's uh, funnier.
1: I mean, the kids bring such an amazing level of comedy. I'm thinking of like the drawings where he's you know, maybe not being as kind to what the teacher would like her body to look like in a photo. Uh, when you look ahead at sort of what you guys have coming, what excites you about the stories you're going to get to tell through this show?
5: I think what excites us most is the show really took on a shape that I don't think we were expecting as we went on. And the web series started as this very grounded... Um, you know, real people. And as we started writing, the characters became very heightened and fun. And all of a sudden, we were doing stunts um, in episode <laughs> six and seven. And so I think what we're really excited is to see kind of how this first um, season's world looks to an audience and how they react to it. And then kind of seeing where we can even take it further. Because we took it pretty far. <laughs> For example,
8: um, there's an episode where uh, Feldman, Kate Friedman's character, Spends the episode crawling around the air ducts of the school uh, after a child who's who's hidden up there. Yeah. So, yeah.
7: which is based on a real life experience that Ian Roberts uh, had <laughs> substitute teaching in Chicago. Yeah, I was a,
11: a terrible substitute teacher that used to read a newspaper at the front of the class. <laughs> and at one point, I noticed a bunch of kids looking up in the ceiling, and I, in my bad teacher way, just yelled at them and said, "Hey, get back in your seats! What are you doing?" is up in the ceiling! And I go up and ask the kid to come down, and he just tells me no, and I realize that I have no recourse because I can't tell the administration I was paying so little attention that a kid ended up in the ceiling, and she basically finds herself in the same situation.
1: I'm glad you're producing television now. Um, But, I mean, how many of these stories... I mean, you have teaching experience. How many of these stories are cobbled together from, like, horrifying things that are getting thrown around the teacher's room? Lounge.
9: Oh, quite a bit. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I was a teacher for several years, and, you know, it's, a, it's the hardest, one of the hardest jobs in the world. It's so hard. There's so much pressure on you. But at the same time, you are a young person or whatever, getting your life, or not so young, and your life is still a mess, getting it together. And so, you know, there were so many moments where I'd be on the uh, outside doing playground duty, and I'd be talking to my, um, you know, my coworker about a date she went on the night before, and like it would be very graphic, and there were children just playing in front of us. Like, oh my god. But, um, you know, or uh, just uh, k- kids. You know, I, I have a saying. Am I allowed to say curse words, or? Fuck yes. Okay. Um, so I, you know, from teaching for so many years, like, I, I kind of came to this uh, understanding about how I felt about the world, and um, there's asshole adults, and there's asshole kids. Like, some kids are just assholes. And they're probably going to be asshole adults. And so it's sort of like <laughs> the struggle to, like, obviously you want to nurture this child. You, you will. You'll give this child everything you have. But at the same time, there's a part of you that's like, shut up. Just shut <laughs> up. And so, so it's just kind of that um, internal struggle that a lot of teachers have. And a lot of things about their job that are very challenging that you have to have a sense of humor about to get through the day.
10: Oh, and a lot of our um, stories just come from personal experience. Even if you haven't been a teacher, a lot of it can just be, you know, we might have all done a walk of shame to work. Um, But when you do that and show up to school in front of children, it suddenly becomes so much more inappropriate. Um, So a lot of it's just, like, pulled from our personal lives of what it it was like to be a mess. (laughs) (laughs) We're all perfect now. (laughs) Um, I would
1: love to open it up to audience questions. If there's any uh, questions you guys have, just raise your hand if you would like to ask the panel then I will continue. Um, When we talk about the idea of teachers and you talk about fitting the show into like an existing network model, I think it's a very interesting time in television right now where you have so many different platforms. And I'm curious, I mean, maybe this is something uh, you can only answer for your own personal experience, but I mean, does it matter anymore where your material lives? I mean, you have a web series that was turned into a television show. It kind of feels like the Wild West a little bit Mm -hmm. in the television landscape now. And how have you guys found that?
6: Well, I think with the internet, it makes it so immediate. I mean, you have YouTube and Funny or Die, and the bottom line is if you have an idea, you can truly put it on right away. And so that creates something where you can have your voice heard by everyone, and you can get a following, and and something like that can snowball from there.
5: Yeah, and to piggyback off that, you know, I, I don't think it is, you know, I feel like Consuming television has changed a lot, especially with Hulu and Netflix and Amazon, and these are platforms that are putting out their own series now, and so I I don't really feel like there's that, like, network mindset anymore. I think people just watch what they like, and it doesn't matter where it's coming from, and you can have access to it so many different ways. Online, you can DVR it. You know, we don't need to tune in at 8 p.m. on Tuesday to catch what we're watching anymore. And so I think that's a, it's a really cool time in television because I feel like everything's sort of bleeding together and just good stuff is coming to the top, no matter where it's coming from.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think you guys with Key and Peele probably saw that a lot as well. I mean, that was a show that really thrived in an internet culture where the clips would go viral and people would be talking about them the next day. I mean, that has to be, as a comic sort of producer, the best case scenario.
8: Yeah, I was going to say that um, I, I don't think... He- Key and Peel would have um, gotten the recognition that it's gotten if it hadn't been for the internet and the fact that sketches are very easy to put, you know, to watch on the internet. And it, and I think ultimately all shows are going to live and die by the internet, even if they're on television. And I think it's interesting that the journey of this show, starting as a web series, going and going to TV, but ultimately what's I think going to decide its fate and the fate of all cable comedy shows is how many people watch it online. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> so. I-
1: I mean, I'm curious because this strikes me also as a show, given its origins, where you could do web content specifically. You could be like, this scene doesn't work in the show, so let's just throw it online. I mean, what kind of conversations have you had about engaging that online audience?
12: Um, We had a really wonderful social media expert join us for the entire duration of our two-month shoot, uh, Blake Wexler, who we actually got introduced to um, by Ian and Jay because he did Key and Peele as well. Um, and throughout the entire shoot, we, if we came up with a little idea on set, um, we would shoot it, a little 30-minute, one-minute video that we are planning to release online um, to promote the show when it premieres in January and a little bit before that. Um, we had a lot of fun with that. Like any crazy, stupid idea that was way too bad shit to put in the show, we could make into a social media video. Um, one of the best examples of it was... Uh, Katie Colleton, who plays Miss Snap, um, <laughs> had a scene uh, with a wonderful this uh, a unicorn child actress who was very talented <laughs> and very kind. Um, and they shot a hilarious like little video where this like eight-year-old girl was schooling Colleton on how to be an actress in Hollywood. Um, so we kind of planned to like keep our like sketch comedy alive in... Um, putting out those little videos.
10: Yeah, that was way too close to reality, too. <laughs> <laughs> like,
2: they
10: have an incredible resumes. Yeah, yeah she has an incredible resume. I actually did 3 of those cuz 3 child actors I worked with had amazing resumes. So I just kept doing a video where they they would were like disgusted with me saying like it was wonderful to work within an unknown. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'd be like um, they're like so we they can do an inside the actor studio moment now. <laughs> I'll be James Lipton, you be you.
7: We, we have come up with a, a, a lovely little uh, term for ourselves, which is uh, we're six homely bitches with no credits. <laughs> um, so it was fun to see the kids' uh, reaction to these no-names. I love. It. I actually heard on the pilot shoot, we were walking to, uh, to grab lunch, and I saw the par- a group of parents walking back together, their kids, to get for lunch, and uh, I heard a parent just go, I don't know who any of these women are. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing we have a good sense of humor. (laughs) I revel in that stuff.
1: What is that relationship like? You know, it's one thing to have child actors and parents of child actors there to, but I mean, you're also doing things with and in front of the children that are sort of atypical perhaps for their experience. I mean, that has to be though, as funny people, kind of the best. Don't you just kind of want to mess with them even a little bit more? (laughs)
11: Yeah. Can I tell you one of the things that the concert thing was dropping the F-bomb just... And, and like, the loudest you ever had. Like, like say, it would, the, the situation would come for someone say, hey, how how loud can you say fuck? Like, that, that's almost what it seemed like, you know? Because when you'd have 20 kids, oh, I can say it real loud. Fuck! <laughs> oh, boy. You know, so that was one of the, the, the nightmares of shoot I can't tell how many times I just went, and I just... The second after I did it, oh, boy, I just... In front of all those kids.
10: I had I had a, um, a kid's mom come up to me afterwards and just go. She heard you say the f word and it wasn't in the script. <laughs> and I go, I'm so sorry. That's how I
1: talk. <laughs> I mean, but at the end of the day, they're the ones bringing their children there. They auditioned it's for their the fault. film. I mean, for the part. Yeah, it's all the parents' fault. You guys are not I to mean, blame at all.
7: Based on some of the parents we met, and most of them were very lovely, but there's a special. Type of person who pushes their kid out, and when the kids want to do it, it's amazing. But when, it's very clear that some of them don't, <laughs> and and that's when you're like, oh no, why are you? Do- your kid just wants to play baseball with his friends. <laughs> but
11: I had to talk one woman out of trying to make her kid cry for me for about three minutes because it was a still shot, and I just said, if he makes a face, it'll look like he's sad. I can get him to cry. You sure you don't want me to get him to cry? No, I really don't want you to get him to cry. And so, I feel like she wanted him to cry. Well, okay, the, the way that... I'm hesitant because then this woman will know it's her kid, but the way, the way she could do it is she would show him a picture of his dog who died.
7: Yeah, I, think, I, I think them hearing us drop an F-bomb is the least of their concerns. Yeah.
11: This kid was an amazing actor, by the way, because I remember with the director, we said, hey, could you, this makes you a little sad when you hear this, and the kid just went, and he got tears, and I'm like, I've been acting for 20 years, I can't get tears that quickly, in fact, I don't know if I can get them at all, and and this kid just like instantly can access this, I'm like,
1: wow, you're a real actor, (laughs) oh my God. Obviously, um, as everybody saw in the pilot, Alison Brie is an executive producer. She's in the episode. I mean, she also had come from a world very similar with community. I mean, that was a show that really took off because of a passionate online fan base. I mean, in conversations with her just about approaching a television show in that way, what did you guys take away as sort of helpful pieces of advice?
5: Um, Yeah, Allison has been such a wonderful partner um, with us for teachers. She's been an unbelievable source and very, very supportive. Um, And, you know, I feel like the best advice she gave us, which was very true, is she said that, you know, community just stuck to who it was, and it has a very specific tone and a very specific voice, and as long as you stay true to what you think is funny and what you enjoy as comedians developing, an audience will find it and stay loyal to you. And so um, even in the writer's room, we really tried to stick true to that. Like, there was a couple of things where we would pitch, and we would be like, well, I don't know if everybody would get that. And then I, I think one of the two of you said Jordan. Um,
11: yeah, Jordan Peel, we would uh, have this all the time because it would be some reference to 90s kid shows. And Jay and I, of course, would have no idea what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> and it was fair to say if we didn't, a huge amount of people weren't going to. It was a very niche thing. He goes, look. Some people won't get it, but the people that do will be our fans forever. you know. And, and, and then he pointed to Monty Python. He said, I remember tons of stuff I didn't get, but I just assumed, well, they're hipper than me, and it actually interested me. Yeah.
8: And by the way, both Ian and I found out what a Diva Cup was from working on the pilot. Uh,
7: yeah, One of our favorites. I,
8: uh, I can say that
11: their scripts constantly sent me to Wikipedia, yeah. and was like... I was looking up um, LBG,
7: uh, no, blah, blah. Uh,
11: endless
7: dsl dsls
11: oh no i about that thing about the oh, lesbian LGBT, gay transgender Q. questioning yeah. it, i mean on and on it was just all, so many uh women's issues and then youth issues <laughs> that uh they flummoxed me
7: we we like just going i can't wait to hear what they you know how, what they found out how they found out which i, I remember jay and i joking one time and getting in the like,
11: corner and cowering because it was this description that was all down here, and it was just like, this is it's just so used to you know just never. or men, the minority in the room, we were the only two men, and we even had one extra writer, and it was all I don't know what it was something that was period related.
8: I think I think it might have been the uh, discussion about queefing that it was. Oh yeah,
11: uh, yeah, queefing and uh, a really specific phenomenon, the front fart, different than a queef. <laughs> which is apparently you fart in a seat and you feel the fart come up through here because there's no balls to hold it in.
7: Right, ladies? Right, ladies? We've had front farts.
1: But yeah, so th- it was an education.
7: Haven't we done well
1: with this? Right. Well, I feel like we've all learned something here today. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I feel like I have to end on that note because it doesn't get better you than that. You can't. You can't top that. I, I mean, I feel like that. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for creating this hilarious show. Thank you all for coming. Don't forget, Teachers premieres next year on TV Land. Now leaving Nerdist.com.